What is the state of the U.S. economy? What happened after today's CPI number? Inflation stays elevated. Jobs stay strong. What's the Fed's next move? Are equities finally bottoming? What's going on with crude oil and the dollar impact on commodities? All of that and more with my guest today, Managing Director and Chief Economist at CME Group, Blue Putnam. Today's podcast is brought to you by CME Group. Whatever the obstacle, CME Group provides the tools that global market participants need to manage risk and capture opportunities. With 24-hour access to futures, options, cash, and OTC products across all major asset classes, you can drive your trading strategy forward with confidence and precision. CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. My man, Blue. Hello. Good to be here. It's great to have you here today. Obviously, today, Blue, crazy day in the markets. So I'm so excited to speak with you. And there's just a lot to go over. So I just want to go into it. I mean, everybody saw today's CPI number. I heard people tweeting last night and people talking about this yesterday. This is the most important CPI number of our lifetime, right, Blue? They always say that, right? Everybody <laughs> talks about that to pump it up. But let's face it. We came in today. The CPI number created massive moves in the market. Talk to us about what happened with today's CPI. Well, the headline number came down a little on a year-over-year -year inflation basis, and the core number was higher than expected. And, and uh, you know, we knew that because we, we've known that the big problem with the core CPI is rent. Rent's 40% 40 40 of the core. And uh, it's calculated based on home ownership costs and lag prices and things like that. So we, we even know it's going to continue to be a problem for three or four more months. So, I, you know, it was strange to me watching the, the market react because, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the initial number came out, the, the S&P traded and all the, all the uh, equities traded off, and then they came roaring back. Huh? But, but, you know, it wasn't that far away from expectations. That's what I noticed when I saw the number this morning, and I am no uh, macro expert uh, by any stretch. That's why I talk to guys like you. So why do you think that the markets reacted the way they did? Well, markets have gotten very, very nervous about a lot of different things. Uh, I relate it to the difference between uncertainty and risk. This is a concept economists have been talking about for like 100 years. It was developed by a Chicago professor, Frank Knight. But basically, uncertainty are things that you really have trouble quantifying, whereas risk, you can put some kind of number on it, implied volatility, standard deviation. You can quantify what you're, the risk you're taking. And what we have right now is a very high level of uncertainty, things that we really haven't seen before or we haven't seen them in 40 years, which means pretty much every active trader hasn't seen it. Uh, and, and so in those kind of circumstances, uh, you, you get a lot of big ups and downs and people are, you know, come into that market and they they see something start to happen and then they can reverse. So uh, I think we're just living in this period of, of higher volatility while we work through these unusual uncertainties. You know, one thing I was taught at an early age coming into markets is that the market is already looking past the data that just comes out, right? So today's move I know a lot of people will say it's because of CPI, right? But even hearing you talk about this, it's what they're looking at, what's going to happen next, right? 
So really, when we look at today's CPI, I guess maybe we go to, obviously, what everybody's talking about is, what is the next move for the Fed? Do you think that was a big part of why we maybe moved the way we did today? Well, that's what people are looking at, but there's more to it than that. I mean, I, I think, I mean, we, we federal funds futures, uh, you know, inched up another notch here, but, uh, you know, with, with this number, so the suggestion that the Fed will be a little tighter, a little faster. Um, but, you know, what, what I'm really looking at, you know, when you're thinking about the next move and something, the Fed is pretty much guided that it wants to get to a certain place and we don't quite know where that place is but you know four and a half percent 475 something like that and then they want to pause and see what actually what they've done to the economy because they know and we know that there are long lags in the impact of monetary policy i mean if you think about what's happened so far the main market in the real economy that's been affected is housing and what's happened is that mortgage rates have more than doubled, okay? So we're not going to have as many house sales. We're not going to have as many transactions. Uh, but if you're in the housing construction business and you started a project in May or June, you're going to finish it. So, you know, uh, construction workers are still growing. Uh, it'll be 2023 when the housing construction slows down. Uh, and then, of course, all of the things that go with housing that broaden inflation into the, um, you know, what you buy a, you know, build a new house, you got to do a refrigerator, you got to buy lumber, you got to do all these different things. Uh, that really gets impacted also down the road, not right away. Uh, so we, the Fed has done a lot of the work, but the economy hasn't absorbed what the Fed's done yet. And, uh, and by the way, data comes out with a lag. And the impact of monetary policy is a lag. So you got two lags here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the Fed doesn't want to, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouth. So let, let's, uh, you know, but people understand that if you're data dependent and you're really looking just at the data, it's like driving a car or looking only at the rearview mirror. And I mean, if you're in Iowa, maybe it works because the roads are pretty straight and it's flat. But, you know, we're in markets that are a whole lot more like the Alps. And uh, you really don't want to be looking only in the rearview mirror with these hairpin turns we're getting. Uh, and, you know, I think that's fairly well understood. So we're just trying to figure out where the peak rate is going to be uh, before we take that pause. And then, you know, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. So I saw a tweet the other day, and this brings me to the next topic. You know, inflation stays elevated and jobs stay strong. And I saw a tweet the other day that really got a ton of traction. And a lot of macro people were talking about it. And the tweet was something along the lines of, it's obvious the Fed's tools do not work and they cannot fight inflation. And that was even before we saw this number this morning. And this was just a conversation. I saw a lot of people talking about it. Inflation does stay elevated, but jobs stay strong. And so I kind of want to talk to you about those two things together. But I guess, ultimately, do you believe that the Fed, what they have done thus far, is working or going to work to fight inflation? Oh, I definitely believe it's going to have an impact. I mean, 
we've seen it in the mortgage market. It, I just, you know, if you study housing, you just know it takes a while. And the housing market is going to determine that rent calculus. And the rent calculus is determining how sticky the core is going to be for a while. So there isn't any question in my mind that the withdrawal of accommodation has already made a difference. Uh, it's just that you're not going to see it in the data till till next year. And so nobody's going to believe me till next year and a lot of other pundits like myself. Uh, and that's just the way it goes. Um, but yeah, the, the question is, you know, that will they have to do more? Uh, that I, I don't know. Um, I do know that the jobs inflation trade-off isn't nearly as strong as people talk about. Uh, you know, the, the inflation trade-off with jobs is really a 1950s, 60s concept. It's based around something called the Phillips curve. But in the last 50 years, the economy has really changed a lot. Uh, we're, we've gone from a manufacturing economy to a service economy. Uh, the wage bill for companies is a smaller percentage of their total revenue than it used to be. Uh, all of these kinds of things mean that the job market can stay strong and not necessarily be the huge influence on inflation. I mean, if we look back at the causes of why we got this burst of inflation, we had this pandemic, we put 22 million people out of work, and then we put $3 trillion of fiscal stimulus in the economy so that they could spend even when they weren't working, which means that they weren't producing. And now they're back, GDP is back, the, the, the fiscal stimulus has stopped. Um, but I'll tell you, these impulses, it's not an on-off switch. Once you flick it, uh, <laughs> it, it stays with you a while. It takes, you know, a couple, couple of years, maybe three, to work through the whole system and get back to some steady state. And I get that, right? As a trader, as a business person, as just, you know, a person who's, you know, done things in life, nothing happens right away. You put a plan into place. And although we all want results immediately, it never works that way, right? I mean, that's just the way things are. So I understand that aspect of it, but I guess it feels to me and it feels to probably most Americans, to most traders, because we don't have an immediate impact right now, where at least it feels, it doesn't feel like there is something to fight inflation, that this happens. And I guess it also feels as though the Fed is also looking at what's happening right now. And of, of course, with, with data from the past as well. So it feels like they are also um, wanting that immediate result, obviously from the pressures of the American people, right? So how do they know when to turn it off? I mean, how do we know that it ultimately will, will work um, in that long period of time if we're stuck in this time where with social media and everything, everybody wants it right now? Does that does that sway the Fed? Like, what, what do you think about all of that? I think public opinion does have an impact on the Fed. They value their credibility tremendously. And of course, in, in 2021, they were talking about the beginnings of the inflation being transitory. And, you know, they banished that word from their vocabulary. And I think the moves that they've made on, you know, starting to withdraw accommodation uh, and raise interest rates have have really helped them regain the narrative, regain uh, some of that credibility. Now, your question though is they're, they're going to be sitting on March twenty second, twenty twenty three, and they're going to like, okay, do we pause? Do we not pause? 
And uh, that's going to be a vigorous debate inside the Fed and, of course, outside in the markets as to what they should or shouldn't do. Because my guess is that when you get to March uh, 22nd around noon, uh, when, you know, when the statement comes out, uh, you know, the, the Fed's going to be looking at a jobs market that is still healthy but has slowed down. And why do I say the jobs will have slowed down? It's fairly straightforward. We've had a rebound from the pandemic and the labor force really isn't growing. The labor participation rate isn't growing. So there's not as many people out there to take those new jobs. And we still got about, we've, we've gotten, we lost 22 million jobs and we've gotten 22 million jobs back, but not in the same place. And we still about a million short uh, jobs in the hospitality, leisure, travel, restaurant, that kind of sector. And, and that's where, of course, you see a lot of job openings and so forth. So, you know, there's still some work to be done in the job market, but I, I do believe it will be a little closer to a, a slower, steady state. Now, they also look at the unemployment rate. And that one is really tricky because if we're still creating net new jobs, well, that's the numerator of the unemployment. So maybe we could get the an unemployment rate go lower. But then the labor force is the denominator. And if the labor participation rate were to start rising, and I think it will rise a little bit, uh, then you will get a, you get a little bit of an uptick in the unemployment. You might even get to 4%, 4.1, 4.2, but for good reasons. That is the labor participation rate was going up. So I think the Fed's going to be looking at a, an okay economy. Okay, it's gonna be looking at a, uh, a modest economy. <laughs> <laughs> but not a recession when we're talking about March. But the inflation rate um, is going to be way, the core inflation is going to be way above their 2% target. So they're going to have to have some faith that what they've done is going to have an impact. And uh, that's going to be the debate. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that that's kind of why I asked you that question, right? Is because they want to get to that 2%, but let's face it, they might be where they need to be with rates well before we see that two percent happen. So what it will that's the question I think is is does the Fed overshoot like they've done in the past to the downside? Some may debate that, right? But that's the problem I see, you know, as a trader and when I look at this and as an investor is that you know the Fed people could say what they want, right? Did the Fed re leave rates too low for too long? Most would say yes. Some would say no, whatever, right? Not this conversation today, but now could they be increasing rates too too hot, too fast, and then going too far, um, similar to they did the other way, because they are also looking at the results today, right? So they also feel that pressure of like, I have to do something. So if we don't, what do, what message does that send? So I totally understand what you're saying with all of this. And, and I think when we sit back and we're actually rational about this, we realize that they've done what they've had to do at this point. We do have to let it um, take place over time to see what really happens. But you mentioned that date in March. Some people may not know. Why is that date important? That's the, uh, the second FOMC meeting from the Fed uh, of 2023. But if you look at the federal funds futures market, and of course, uh, that gives you some ex what the market's thinking about that the Fed might do. By the way, the Fed funds futures aren't particularly accurate. They're just a gauge of what, what the current sentiment is. And what that's uh, saying today is that we'll get um, 75 basis points uh, November 2nd, a Fed meeting. We'll get uh, another uh, 75 or 50 on um, 
you know, in December 14, and then we will get get a little more uh, in uh, February 1st next year. And then, but that puts us between four and a half and five percent, and that's what an awful lot of people. And if you read between the lines on the Fed speak, the different Fed presidents and board members, that's you know that's pretty close to what they're guiding us as to where their their peak rate might be. I think the big issue they're going to have, though, when they get there is they're very focused on the job market as their forecaster of inflation. If, if the job market is what they might say too strong, then they're going to think inflation is going to stay higher longer. And, and that's where I really draw a line or disagree a little bit is that I don't think the relationship between jobs and inflation is nearly as tight uh, as it was in the 50s and 60s. And so I'm a little more careful there. And I'm looking at many other things, one of which we're about to talk about is the dollar and other things that have already moved that suggest, and commodities that suggest that, you know, we, we actually have made some progress already. We just don't see it in the CPI yet. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I mentioned to you, I said, I really want to talk about because I think it's just so important, really for me and a lot of my trader friends and some of the chat rooms that we talk about the dollar. I mean, if you're not watching the dollar right now, you know, you're, you're missing a huge part of what's happening, right? If not the part that's happening right now, what's happening with the dollar and the impact that it's having. And I'm not just talking about just equities and we're talking about commodities, right? And how much that's really where the true impact is happening. Talk to us about the dollar and, and the impact it's having on markets right now. Well, the dollar is very strong. Okay, I mean, we're up uh, 20% from uh, where it uh, bottomed out a while back, uh, you know, and so it, that's really a very, very strong dollar. And it's broad based, uh, you know, where, where the US dollar is, has been strong against the Japanese yen, strong against the euro, strong against the British pound, strong against the Chinese yuan, all, all the big ones. Uh, now, a very large country like the United States or like the European regional economy in the euro, they're not as influenced by their currency as a small economy is. So there is some sense that the, the dollar isn't going to make all that much difference for U.S. inflation or European inflation. And I think that's wrong. And it's not wrong because of this big economy thing. It's just that we've had such a big move that it's going to start to have an impact. And what that means is, uh, where the way I interpret that is that the strong dollar uh, will make U.S. inflation come down faster in 2023 than most people currently think. And it will mean that European inflation uh, stays higher longer because they're on the other end of that. Um, but that's, a, you know, again, the, the data, we'll see if that turns out to be the case. The strength of the dollar, though, is being primarily driven because the Fed is ahead of the European Central Bank, Bank of Japan. The, the European Central Bank only got out of negative rates in the summer, and they have started to, to match the Fed with 75 basis point increases, but they're, uh, they're lagging. I mean, they're not catching up. They're just, uh, you know, keeping the differential. Uh, and the Bank of Japan has made it pretty clear they, don't, they, they would like to see a little more inflation to break their cycle of deflation psychology, and so they're definitely not doing anything for a while. Uh, and so the, the dollar has, uh, you know, had quite a run and, and this policy differential between the Fed, the ECB and the Bank of Japan, uh, you know, has not yet been reversed. Uh, so it's still there. Uh, so, you know, big boost. Now, commodities are priced in dollars. 
And so if the dollar is rising, you know, oil prices may have come down here, but in, in Euro terms, you got to add the 20% depreciation on there. Uh, same thing for Japan. So that constrains the non-U.S. demand for global commodities. Uh, the other constraint on global commodities uh, is that the Chinese economy has slowed down and they're, they're just a big buyer of commodities. So commodities largely peaked in May or June of last year. I mean, excuse me, May of June of 2022. And, uh, you know, some of them like oil and wheat and stuff are down 30% from their peak. Gold is off 20% from its peak. I mean, peak this copper. year. Yeah. Copper's I mean, off. Uh, lumber. Lumber's off over 60% from its peak. And that's, of course, oh, that that's really a housing is. one. You know, <laughs> that was you, an unbelievable move. Remember that? Remember lumber was like the talk for like a week or so or two weeks, oh, maybe longer. I don't yeah, remember. It was, it was big. So, but I mean, you look across the commodity landscape and you realize that we've had big price moves in, in the third quarter. Uh, and, and it just, again, it takes a while for those raw materials to feed through the system. It, it's not an on-off switch. No, absolutely. I, you know, but it's it goes back to the to really the gas analogy, right? Where you look at the price of oil going up and everybody sees how fast they move it up at the pump, right? So it feels so in tune with, oh, it's going up, it's moving up fast. So go get gas today. When that is so ridiculous, right? In the, in the scheme of things, because there's no way but that, that would have that much of an impact if the futures are up five bucks in crude oil today, right? Running a gas today. We know that that's something that will take place down the road, but that is, the way things really work these days in, in this world, right? And so when you see oil prices come down, everyone's like, well, why isn't gas prices coming down as fast? Because, and really maybe you're going to be better at explaining this than me. It's it's just that they're projecting the potential cost to go higher. So they're raising the gas prices quicker for what the future prices may be, right? And when they come down in volatility, they don't come down as fast because there's still that scare of the upside. Is that kind of summarizing why that sometimes happens like that? Yeah, that's kind of, that's a good summary, but there's more to it, you know, because we we don't build refineries in the United States anymore. We haven't built them in a couple of decades. And so, uh, you know, we do hit limitations on the refined product at various points in these price cycles. And uh, it makes uh, the decisions that refiners have about how much gasoline to produce, how much heating oil, how much jet fuel, things like that, uh, is, is a pretty tricky decision in this kind of market. And so, you know, caution um, perhaps means that you don't get quite as much impact on gasoline as fast as you you might otherwise want. I, I know it certainly affects me. I live in a rural area. You know, I have my little super duty pickup truck. And the first time I filled up and it went over $100, I took a picture of it, you know. <laughs> and, and, then, uh, and now, of course, I fill up when my tank is only half empty so that I don't have to ever see that again. Uh, it doesn't, of course, make any difference, but the what tricks it does, we play on ourselves. <laughs> but it, but it outlines that expectations, the public's feeling about inflation, is really what they see in the grocery store on food and what they see at the gas pump. And uh, and you know, in the Federal Reserve, and policymakers are looking at broader indexes that move slower. The core, it's yeah. like the you know doesn't include food and energy, but you know it, they all catch up with each other. Uh, it just takes time. So we do have a, an issue that the public is seeing more inflation than the data may show, even as it starts to come down next year. 
Yeah, that that is why I kind of use that analogy of the crude oil, right? Because you can look and see what's happening with a lot of these commodities, right, as they've come off. And people say, well, I'm still paying this high price in the store. But really, that's why you believe that what the Fed is doing will work because a big part of what you're seeing, what's happening in commodities and things like that, correct? And, and that pricing? Yeah. Oh, is yeah. That you... That's right. You know, and I mean uh... – my uncle used to always quote Will Rogers, you know, how do you get out of a hole? Stop digging. And of course, so if, if you yeah. really analyze, uh, we, we had a pandemic that screwed up supply chains and we, we bought a lot more goods than services during that. That's all being reversed. You know, it takes yeah. a you know, while. Uh, we had this huge fiscal stimulus. That's not happening anymore. The Fed bought $3 trillion of securities to make sure the fiscal stimulus had no impact on interest rates. That's not happening anymore. Uh, so, you know, we've stopped digging, um, but that doesn't get you out of the hole. You're still in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it still takes a little while to get out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, like we said throughout this whole conversation, people want results today. It's so similar as a trader, right? We come into the day, we want the result that day. Expectations are high, especially when it's costing people money. That is when expectations are at its highest for things to be fixed, right? Because people see that they're paying more for this, uh, for certain things. But they're not paying more for some things, Blue. Equities. <laughs> so last topic for today, you know, we talked about this before we came on today and started to record we saw this move, this rally off the lows in equities. And I know a lot of people are going to go out there and say, you know, are we finally bottoming? Was it capitulation? Are we now finally looking past this? And I know that you're not going to be giving me, you know, the exact answer to like, yeah, we have bottomed or have not. And, and I wouldn't ask that of you because I know that's not what you do. But I guess the question is, you have that you know, that 50,000 view, you, you have that um, ability to see how things are working and what's happening within the macro environment to what the future may hold. So I guess the question really is, are you seeing signs that equities could finally be bottoming? Well, let's take it as a try to understand what's happened to equities in 2022. We've had a pretty big bear market. But we've also had an equally large bear market in bonds. Yeah. And we know that equities have competition from bonds. When the 10-year uh, yield is like 1%, then you're encouraged to take risk. You're encouraged to buy more equities. You feel the Fed has your back, all of these things. Now we have the 10-year uh, right almost at 4%. That's a lot more competition for equity. So when I get out the back of my envelope and do my uh, very sophisticated calculations, uh, what I come up with is that what's 80% give or take of what's happened in equity so far this year is adjusting to the higher bond yields. So I don't really think equities are forecasting much of a recession. If they are forecasting one, it's, it's a shallow one. Uh, so that doesn't really answer your question, but it tells you a little bit about where to look. If yeah. we're going to, if we have a bad day on equities where they're down and the bond yields rise, then we're adjusting to the bond yields. We're adjusting to this new reality of what the Fed's doing. If we have a difficult day with equity prices way down and bonds rally with lower yields, 
then that's telling us that you're worried that the market's worried about a recession. And that's not what we've seen so far. We, we continue to see the higher bond yields, and, and that's been on and off associated with the lower equity prices. So I think we've repriced equities based on what the Fed has done and what it's pretty much told us it will do at least into early next year. And I don't think that the, the market participants have bought the story uh, that, that there'll be a recession. So if we were to get a deep recession, then there's more bad news in equities. I'm in the camp that we're not going to have that. If we have a recession, it'll be shallow. Yeah, for me, I look at it not from the data that you have, and I don't have that ability to, to know all the things that you do. Um, you know, that's not my world, right? I, I look at things from a technical perspective, and I look at, you know, mom and pop out there. It feels to me that the, if there was a recession, it is already it already may have already passed us. I'm starting to see a lot of my friends starting to get busier again in certain things. And when I look at equities, I look at them and I feel like we we are bottoming. You know, whether this is the bottom or not, I don't know. I think it could be a consolidation uh, period of time, maybe in these 35 to 3700 area, maybe even a little higher. But maybe I don't. We don't scream up. But I feel like the pain I felt earlier, I don't feel as much now. I think is more of what I'm saying. Um, so when you look at those things, it feels as though when you look at commodities and you just look at the whole picture, equities start to look, start to look, um, appealing to me as an investor and as a trader that now you could start sticking your teeth into it. And I know some people just want to be perma bears. They just want to be bearish forever. That's not the way markets work, right? The market markets don't want to be bearish forever. They're, they're bearish for reasons in the backdrop. And when those reasons start to dwindle. And they start to look at risk, well, kind of how we started today's conversation. Are equities that risky here? And I think that when you look at the scope of what's happening in the world, they I think they're less risky now, uh, far less risky than they were you know, a few months ago. Yeah, nothing like a 20% plus price decline to uh, give you a little cushion there. Uh, and I, you know, I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, and, and when you have the unemployment rate under 4%, yeah. You know, it's you're not going to get me calling that a recession, um, you know, and when you're creating jobs every month, even if it's fewer jobs in the next couple of months than in the past three or four, uh, you know, it still means that we're adding people to the workforce. They're, they're going to be somewhat productive. I mean, companies don't hire workers because they expect to lose money on that marginal worker. They hire workers because they expect they can deliver more services and goods for that work. And of course, if we deliver more services and goods, uh, GMP goes up and it's, it's, uh, you know, we, you know, this is part of my story that the link between jobs and inflation is weaker than people think. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, you know, we've really come full circle today. We talked about the expectations are for today. Nobody's looking down the road and, and really as traders and investors, the key is to look down the road today may have been a massively important day. Maybe it determined a low, maybe it turned the head from looking south and bearers world to looking bullish. But ultimately you have to look at the whole scope of things. And I appreciate you, Blue, really just laying all that out and um, really just helping us be able to, to look at the market from that 50,000 foot view. And as traders and investors, we truly do appreciate that. Um, I always want to let people know that you write uh, and you do a lot of stuff for CME Group. Obviously, you do a lot of videos. It's always great to have you on here as well. So I always tell everybody, go to cmegroup.com and follow CME Group at uh, CME Group on Twitter. Um, where inside CME Group's site 
um, or anything that you want to tell anybody about stuff that you got coming up where they could go and, and watch you talk again or read some of your stuff in the, in the near future? Well, you know, one of the things on the CME site, if you if you Google uh, CVOL, uh, that's the volatility measure that we've been uh, exploring at CME. Uh, and it, it's, it's a little different than what you might get with a Black-Scholes model. Uh, it, it doesn't depend on a, di a distribution assumption. You can look at up vol and down vol and do a lot of different things. So that's one of the new things uh, on the, that, that's coming on, that's on the CME website. That, that's, I think it's pretty cool is adding uh, an extra dimension to how you understand risk, how you try to quantify it. And, uh, you know, it, it's a uh, it's just, it's another metric to, you know, give us a little better feel for whether you're right or, you know, are we really, uh, you know, are we building a base here or not, you know? Yeah. It, my, my two favorite tools on CME Group site are CVOL and the FedWatch tool. I, I, those I use regularly. If you have not checked out CVOL, I've done videos uh, on this show many times before about CVOL. I think it was Derek Salmon was the last one I had on there where we talked yes. about that. CVOL is a absolutely awesome tool. That and the FedWatch tool would give you all the reasons you want, at least from my perspective. There's a ton of stuff on statementgroup.com, but those two I use regularly, and they're a part of my routine, uh, as it is talking with you, Blue. So thank you again so much, my friend, for joining me. I always appreciate talking with you, and I look forward to the next time, man, because there's a lot to talk about. I'm sure I'll be talking <laughs> before, before that March deadline. So thank you again, my friend, for coming out. Uh, thank you. It's always fun. All right, everybody. That's it. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.